to Totalus Rankium. This week, Basil II. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine Eleven. And this is Basil. Duh. Basil the second, Basil two, the all... last, the last of the Basils. Oh, I've enjoyed the Basil because you know Basil's a great name. Basil one was good. He was all right. Great death. Oh yeah, dragged by a stag. Sixteen miles, I believe. Quite the stag do. That's one joke someone made at the <laughs> Way. time. Yeah. Ooh, in poor taste though. In poor taste. He's swiftly executed. Yes, he Jeff. was. Jeff. So let's see if Basil two can live up to Basil one. I really hope he does badly. Yeah, you see, it's the same as usual. It's going to be a hard sell, I can tell, because you do not like. Emperors who have a reputation for being good. No, no I'll admit it's, if he's good, he's good. But I'm, I'm hoping he's not as good as everyone says he is. Okay, let's do this because we've got quite a bit to get through. He was born in the purple to the Emperor Romanus II and Theophano in 958. He may have had an elder sister. Mm. He definitely at least had a sister. And he also definitely had a younger brother called Constantine. Who he co-emperored with. Ah, yes, well done. You're remembering. Yes. At about one years old, Basil's grandfather, Constantine the Purple-born, died. Oh. Leaving Basil's father, Romanus II, sole emperor. It's quite a dynasty, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, this dynasty's gone back from uh, Basil I. Wow. Yeah, this is the Macedonian dynasty they are. They've done really well. They're a hardcore dynasty. Yeah. Even if there have been a couple of gentle coups going on. Yeah. Yeah, but there's always oh. always been one of the family members. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so Romanos II is emperor, then a year after that, just about the same time as Nikephros and John Zimiskis are fighting Scythe Sword of Destiny yep. and all that's happening, little Basil becomes co-emperor at around two years old. Then, three years later, at the age five or six, his father dies, making him the leading emperor. Okay. His, yeah, his little brother is technically co-emperor with him, but... He's the eldest, he is the lead emperor. Interesting. Several people in the empire figured that five or six is far too young to really get some serious emperoring done. And that's true. Yeah, so um, the events of the last few episodes play out. Theophano wrote to Nikephros for help. He came flying back to the capital, and he fought with Joseph Bringus for power, if you remember. Bringus power. Yes. <laughs> That's a, that's a joke that was made at the time. Now, so far, we've just been recapping previous episodes, but I'm I'm now going to ask you to pay attention. It's good. That's some good... Oh, that is, that's a good look. That's a good attentive look. Thank you. It's a shame this is audio format. As long as you know, Rob. As long as you can see. <laughs> it's coming across in the tone of voice, to be fair. Please inform me. <laughs> yeah, listeners, just imagine what someone would look like whilst speaking in that way. Yes. Penetrating. That's what that stare is. Ooh. I'm going to introduce a character who has actually been mentioned a few times before, but I've never focused on him. This is the Lord Chamberlain, Basil Lecapinus. Basil Lecapinus. Yes. I've never used the name Lecapinus before, but just know it's been hanging around because it's actually the family name of Romanos I. Romanos I is also known as Romanos Lecapinus. Okay. Yeah. So is Basil a brother? Ah, well, we'll get into it. Basil Lecapinus was first mentioned a few episodes ago because he is the illegitimate son of Romanos I. Oh, okay. Now, Basil Lecapinus was castrated at an early age. Ooh. Yeah. Now, if you remember, Romanos was ruling via the gentle coup method. 
Yes. And Constantine the Purple Born was kept in the palace, just stay there in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it would appear that Romanos II's illegitimate castrated child and Constantine the Purple Born kind of developed a friendship over this time, maybe because they were both kind of outcast from the family. So this is Constantine and Basil Lekepinos. Yeah. Right. So... After Romanos I is monked by his own sons, and then his own sons are monked about a week later, <laughs> yeah. and then Constantine the Purple Born takes power, well, he turns to his friend, Basil Lekepinos, and says, you can be my Lord Chamberlain. Oh. Yeah. Now, that was briefly mentioned, but there's no way you'd remember that fact. It was one fact in, not a, at all. in a pool of facts. Honestly, if it was the main fact of the episode, <laughs> I would not remember it. Fair enough. However, after the death of Constantine the Purple Born, Joseph Bringus was made Lord Chamberlain. Lekepinos and Joseph Bringus did not get on with each other. So then, when Romanos II died, and Nikephros made a play for the throne, Lekepinos joined forces with Nikephros and sent out his 3,000 armed servants to go and stir things up in the city, while Bringus was arguing with the Patriarch over the old man. Do you remember the old man who kept being passed backwards and forwards? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Nikephros, his father. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, while that was going on, the ex-Lord Chamberlain, Lycepinus, yeah, uh, yeah, he he started the riots. Oh. So it was, and again, he was mentioned in Nikephros's episode, yeah, because Lycepinus helped Nikephros out, that Nikephros was able to become emperor. Yeah, was that in any way clear? Yes, as it helped <laughs> Nikephros become the emperor yes, due to the did. rioting. Exactly right. Now, because of this, when Nikephros took power, he brought back Basil Lycepinus. To be the Lord Chamberlain. To be the Lord Chamberlain. Right. So he's back. So we're now caught back up with our recap narrative. You need to know about Basil Lycepinus because he comes into the story today. And I didn't want him to just spring out of nowhere. So just know he's been around and important for quite some time. Wow, two Basils going to be confusing. Well, I'm going to call him the Kepinos from now on. Right. Yeah. Or the Lord Chamberlain, because he is now the Lord Chamberlain. Anyway, then the events of Nikephros's episode play out. He did very well militarily, if you remember, but he was not great at really anything else. Uh, famine kicked in, and he and his brother, Leo Focus, did very little to help the situation. Because he used a lot of the money for war and fighting, didn't Yes, he? exactly. During this time, little Basil was wheeled out for important events occasionally, because he was the legitimate emperor. <laughs> But he would have been starting to get old enough to realise that he was an important person, but it was like Kephros running the Empire. Yeah. And remember, he's stepdaddy now because he married Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Basil would have been around 11 years old when he would have been awoken from his bed in the middle of the night. Oh, that's annoying. It is annoying. It's even more annoying when you're led to the throne room to see Uncle John. Hey, Uncle John, you're on the throne. Why? Why, why are you on the throne? <laughs> So it's my purple robe, isn't it? You know Uncle John quite well. He's been hanging around with Mum quite a bit recently. Yeah, they keep having those meetings. Yeah, and doing those exercises. Yeah, yoga. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, being 11, it would not have taken him too long to piece together the parts, even if he didn't fully understand the details. He would have soon realised that his mother, Uncle John, and the Lord Chamberlain, like Kepinus, had all plotted to kill his stepfather. Nikephros was dead. John is now the Emperor. Yay! So that must have been an awkward period before dawn. If you remember John's episode, he sat there trying to organise things whilst messengers went throughout the city, yeah, yeah, yeah. declaring that it, no one's allowed to go out today. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he just sat there awkwardly next to John to give it an uh, official appearance. Yeah. 
Now, how Basil felt about this, we've got no idea. It's not recorded. Uh, the fact that his mother was in on the plot must have been reassuring. And yeah. apparently, Nikephoros was a bit of a bore. So, uh, <laughs> it livens up the afternoon, I guess. Yeah, so maybe, maybe he was fairly happy with this. We don't know. Um, however, things then became bad for Basil. Because shortly afterwards, his mother was banished from the city and nunned. Yeah. And she did not go quietly, remember? Yeah. There was a lot of shouting and screaming and the punching of the Lord Chamberlain in the face. <laughs> yeah. Basil, again, is old enough to realise that this isn't right. It's probably dangerous. Mm. Um, he's still the Emperor, but his mum's gone now. Yeah. And Uncle John doesn't seem as fun as he used to be. No, he's drinking a lot. <laughs> he's talking about the good old days. Uncle John, then, maybe just to keep the name, married one of Basil's aunties. Oh. Yeah. Just, just if you remember, that's John making sure he's tied to the royal family. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he really is Uncle John now. And Basil really would have seen the dangers by this point. If John had a child with his auntie, well, where's that put Basil? Especially if it's a son. Mm, not in a good place. No. I mean, if Basil was to just go away one night, I mean... That would line up John's new child. It would, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Still, as a teenager, there's very little he can do, really. And according to uh, uh, Cellus, uh, a new source, by the way, a very good source, arguably the best source we've had since Suetonius right at the start. I hope he's as good as Suetonius, though. Apparently he gets really good, because oh, okay. it's a contemporary source. He was there, he was in the court, and he just loved a bit of gossip. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so... <laughs> and I said to her. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little bit like that. Um, I'm guessing I'm pronouncing his name correctly there. I've only ever seen it written down. It's one of those moments where it's like, oh, I need to say that name out loud now, and I've never done it. What is it? I'm saying it's Celis, and I always have in my head. It's spout P. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> E-T-E. Yeah, that's right to me. <laughs> no, it's spout P-S-E-L-L-U-S. Pselis. 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 Celis. Celis. Yeah, Celis. Celis, yeah. Celis will do, because the PS sound is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, according to Celis, Basil appeared alert, intelligent, and thoughtful throughout his uh, youth. He knows what's going on. Unlike his brother, by the way, who just liked a bit of fun. Oh, for mm, yeah. yeah. Maybe Basil uh, appeared alert, intelligent, and thoughtful, because he realised how precarious his position was. Survival. Yeah. It's like a prey. Now, as Basil approached adulthood, he would have kept track of current affairs. As covered in John's episode now, the most able general in the army, aside from John himself, was his brother-in-law, Sclerus. Mm. Also on the radar was the nephew of Nikephorus and the son of Leophocus. I called him Nephew Focus last week, if you yeah. remember. His name's actually Bardus Focus, but ah. there were just so many Barduses, yeah. I wanted to make it clear. I'm it's not going to call him Nephew Focus much this episode, because he's now really the only Focus left, so he's just going to be Focus. But just know the Focus in this episode is the nephew of Nikephoros. Okay. Now, if you remember, Focus declared himself Emperor, and then John the Emperor sent Sclerus to go and sort Focus out. And then we got that um, scene where Sclerus managed to chase Focus's forces to a fortress. Yes. And Focus turned round to a man who had almost caught him up, 
smash the man with his mace, <laughs> and the man's helmet just imploded inside the man's skull. Yeah. yeah. Sclerus had won that battle, and Focus was <laughs> exiled, but not even blinded. Remember, the order was pretend to blind, yeah. but don't? Yeah. If you wondered, I wonder if this comes back at all. Oh, it does. You need to remember Sclerus and Focus, definitely. Okay. And then, after lots of impressive military campaigning in the East that we just breezed over in his episode, and we're breezing over again now, John suddenly died just as he came back home. Yeah. Perhaps illness, uh, but if the rumour was true, it was actually the fact that he had noticed the Lord Chamberlain was snatching up all the land in Anatolia, and he wasn't happy with it. This was Basil. Yes, now of course this is Basil Lecapenus. Yes. So as you can see, he has been mentioned several times, but I just want it to be clear that it's the same guy I'm talking about yeah. all the way through. Right, anyway, John's dead. And that catches us up. Basil is now 18, and I quote here, growing his first beard. Oh, good man. Which good man. indicates that he likes then shaved it off and grew it again for his second beard. I don't know. What is the continuation of beards? I don't know. I mean, I grew my first beard. I think I was 19. Did you ever shave yeah. it off again, or is that... Oh, I know. Every now and again I have in the past, but not in the Completely past. clean for it to shave them. Yeah, not very often. Yeah. But so that's how many beards you've had. I've I've had two. I grew a beard. I shaved it off for about six months. I went, I want my beard back, and I grew it back. Yeah. yeah. It's the important question. It is, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Basil, he's the sole emperor. With a beard. In some ways, it's an amazing time to become the emperor. The military was the strongest it had been in literally centuries. Mm. Uh, the capital seemed relatively stable. The frontiers were being pushed. Nikephros and John had done well militarily. So it's a pretty good time to become emperor. Everything seems pretty stable. Yeah. However, that's only really when you look at it on the surface. Basil would have realised the dangers. Yeah. Number one. A close friend of John, and the best general of the age was out there running this very capable military. This is Sclerus. Mm. Number two, Focus was still out there, and he still believed he was emperor by right. That's a bit so. awkward. Number three, the Lord Chamberlain had effectively run the administration of the empire for the last decade and a half, while the two general emperors went out to fight the battles. And Lecapenus was unlikely to give up any of that power. And number four, linking to the Lecapenus problem is the powerful, which is a direct translation of the name that this group were given. They're just known as the powerful, oh which I think I've mentioned once before. This is the rich aristocratic families of the time ah. who were dominating everything. There were several families. Uh, the one that we have obviously focused on the most is the Focus family. Yeah, because, on. Yeah, uh, because they have actually provided generals and emperors that we have looked at. Yeah. Uh, the Sclerus family were also one of the big, powerful families. Mm. Yeah, so the powerful are buying up all the land in the empire and making a fortune. Farmers are going into debt, though they're selling their farm yeah, off of to the big families and then renting the farm off the big families. Ooh. Yeah, the uh, big families are raking it in. Yeah. John was raging against this as he was coming back to the capital, swearing that he was going to do something about it, and he suddenly found himself dead. That's happened to me before. Yeah, exactly. And Basil would have realised this. It's like, okay, that's not great. I've got two generals out there who both want to be emperor. I've got a Lord Chamberlain who doesn't want to give up power, and I've got an aristocratic class who will kill anyone who stops them gaining wealth. It didn't take Basil long to decide which was the biggest problem. Which one do you think he's going to go for first? Bearing in mind he's only 18. Chamberlain. No, he's not going to go after the Lord Chamberlain. Oh, he's going to go for the power, isn't he? He's not going to go for that. 
the generals. Yeah, it's kind of forced to, because literally oh. two months after he becomes emperor, Sclerus declares himself emperor. Oh, son of a... Yeah, the, the guy in charge of pretty much the whole army. Ah. Yeah. Well, Basil's not turned out as well as I thought. It, it's not looking good, but it's fine, because, like Epinus, is still very much in charge of the city. Basil's just stepped up, but the Lord Chamberlain has all the strings, and he works on this. Basil took a back seat, but according to Cellus, he watched the elder man like a spectator would at the games, as if they were an athlete themselves. Ah, so kind of learning. Exactly. So Basil's just there in the wings. It's like, okay, let's see what Lycepinus does then. So Lycepinus sent out an envoy to talk to Sclerus. Any chance you just want to not do this? Because that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) We'd really love it. Sclerus did not waste words. I'll quote Skylitzes here. He stretched out his right foot to show the scarlet buckskin, saying, It is impossible, sir, for a man who has once publicly worn this boot voluntarily to take it off again. Basically saying, I've declared myself emperor, I have to do it now. Either that or he's talking literally. Oh. They're, they're really tight. <laughs> he's, Custom Italian made. Like, I talk about diplomacy, but while you're here... Is there any chance you can help me with my shoes? Because You hold on to that bit, I'll pull yeah. myself. Did you bring a shoehorn? <laughs> uh, oh, no, that's my ankle. <laughs> the quote continues. Tell those who sent you that either they accept me willingly as emperor, or I will attempt to seize the throne against their will. So, uh, yeah. no is the answer. <laughs> In brackets, P.S. No. Yeah. Sclerus fought a short campaign that we're going to have to unfortunately gloss over for time, uh, but just know that he did very well here. Okay. Uh, he took the major city of Caesarea, uh, which is on the right of Anatolia. He gained more followers, he managed to capture a fleet, and then he came west and took Nicaea, which is really close to the capital. Hmm. One tactic he used during one battle was to make a huge show of getting all the food out and make it look like he was going to have a feast with his men. The loyal army saw that and thought, oh, right, well, they're, they're setting up to eat, so we might as well eat. So they all like got their lunch boxes oh, out. Yeah, Yeah. They were in the middle of like doing the whole swapsies bit. Yeah, I don't like cheese and onion. Oh, I love that, I love that. Yeah, yeah they were in the middle of doing that when all of a sudden Sclaris's men just charge in and destroy them all. I like to think their last thought was, this isn't fair. Yeah, probably. I didn't even get a bite of my lovely sandwich. You, you see someone just taking about... It's cheese and pickle, thick bread. Oh. About to take just one bite into it. And then you see a sword <laughs> in slow motion coming from the back of his head forward. <laughs> slices all the way through the head and then through the two layers of the sandwich. Oh. And then everything falls to the ground and then it cuts. And then when it slowly fades up again and you just see a couple of crisp packets blown in the breeze. Oh. And just, just lots of dead people. And just one soldier in the middle, just shaking. <laughs> Still holding a sandwich. Yeah. Or, or, or a, a bagel. Cheese string. Cheese string. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a bit of floppy. Yeah. It's been sliced <laughs> by a sword. It's, it's Jeff, that's where he is. Yes. Yeah. He shouldn't be in the army. They were banned, if you remember. But yeah. uh, they, they were desperate. Sclerus is revolting. Yeah. yeah. So um, Sclerus is doing well, and he's close to the capital. He's across the Bosphorus, so he's across right. the water from Constantinople, but... He's ready to go and attack. And actually, Sclerus hit a problem here. Crocodiles. No, um, oh. it's just that Lycepinus and Basil uh, had the fleet. 
the main oh, fleet. Yeah. So actually getting across the water was tricky. Uh, Sclerus tried, but most of his ships were destroyed. Greek so, fire. Yes, exactly. So, okay, they can't get across to the capital, but it's still a tricky situation. There's still an enemy force, a large enemy force, just over the Bosphorus, mm. hemming the capital in. So, it was Lycaepinus, actually, who came up with the solution. Crocodiles. No, they need someone who can fight Sclerus. Ooh, focus. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They have a very good general. It's just he's been monked. So why don't we get focus out of the monastery? No hard or feelings? Or monkery. It's like, it didn't blind you. And it wasn't me. It was yeah. It was someone else. We're writing a wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, is that my armour? Yes. <laughs> well, according to Celus, focus reminded people of his uncle, Nikephros, hmm. because he was, and I quote him here, always wrapped in gloom. So Focus was just really moody all the time. Probably a bit grumpy about the fact he'd been monked. Well, yeah, he's got a bald spot on his head. Yeah, I still think he's got his mace. He carries his mace everywhere he goes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But this has got a cross on it, though. Oh, yes. Nice. <laughs> I mean, it's been blessed. It's got to fit in yeah, with yeah. all the other monks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, apparently his time in exile had not lessened Focus's reputation. Uh, the story of the mace had spread by this point, and it was now told that he could kill any man with one strike. Focus was forced to swear a lot of oaths. <laughs> it's like, you can come back, but we're going to put you in every church we can think of, and you're going to swear every oath under the sun that you're not going to use this as an opportunity to make yourself emperor. You're yeah. going to come and defend the empire. You're not going to rebel again. Are you? Here's the Bible. <laughs> and there you go. Focus was given command of the, the loyal forces. This civil war between these two generals, Sclerus and Focus, lasts around three years. Wow. Yeah, it's not clearly recorded. We have very few details. Because uh, everyone died. <laughs> well, we get one story where Sclerus manages to defeat Focus in a battle. However, as Focus was fleeing the field, one of Sclerus's leading generals spotted Focus, and thought, you know what, if I can pick him off now, I've ended the war. So Sclerus's general charged down right towards Focus. Oh, no. Focus is riding away from the battlefield. Focus turned around and spotted. Oh, no, when he turns around, he's often carrying things. <laughs> I quote, Focus looked at him, realised who he was, quietly brought his horse around, came within arm's length of Gabrus, and struck him on the helmet with his mace. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's his signature move. It is. <laughs> Apparently, the helmet just crumpled into the man's skull once oh. more. He died instantly. This is probably confused with the previous story, uh, the fact that it appears twice. No, I like, I but I the like the thing. idea that this is just his, his thing. Yeah, it's, it's a signature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can't have a battle without that happening. Exactly. Um, another battle is related at this time where Focus again is being pushed back. This time, however, Focus has had enough. They've been fighting for about three years at this point. Sclerus seems to be the better general and also has the better troops because yeah. he had the, like, the good army at the start. Focus is really struggling and he's starting to worry that he's not going to be able to beat Sclerus. So he decides that he will not order the retreat this time. Instead, he was going to end the entire war right now. I'm thinking badass. Gets off his horse, mace in hand, over his shoulder, walks towards Sclerus and says, right, come on, you and me. One-on-one. -on -one. I challenge you to a duel! If he hadn't got off his horse, you would have got it exactly right. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> Apparently, he charged 
towards the enemy, started riding through their ranks directly for Sclerus. According to Skylitzes, the men paused in confusion for a while (laughs) and then kind of moved to one side to let him through because everyone thought... Yeah, go on, man. Hold on to see this. This will be good. <laughs> bets, bets, three to one odds. Scalaris. Yeah. I love this fact. <laughs> it's like usually you'd think the men rallying defend the leader, but no, in this case, apparently it was just a case of, yeah, go on. <laughs> We've been fighting this for three years. If you two want to duke it out, then uh, yeah, saves us the trouble, doesn't it? Yeah. So, the two men right towards each other and in the middle of the battlefield with everyone sort of pausing and watching sandwiches in hand yeah <laughs> they come into contact Sclerus swings first with his sword ooh Focus dodges the sword swings past right through the ear of the horse that ooh. Focus is riding nay. and also takes the bridle off nay oh yes As you can imagine, the horse not too happy, but by this point, Focus is swinging his mace. The mace swings round in the signature arc that it usually makes, almost trails going behind it, and smacks right into Sclerus's head. Oh! Sclerus was seen to slump down, but then grab hold of the horse. He doesn't fall. He's not dead. So the blow didn't hit as hard as it usually does. He's had a mace to the head. Oh, yeah. A mace to the head. A spiky mace to the head. (laughs) There's probably bits in him. Uh, By this time, the horses, if not the men, seem to have had enough. (laughs) Especially the one with no ear. And (laughs) Screw this. Yeah, and the two part. Now, Focus was fine. I mean, his horse had no ear, but Focus himself (laughs) was fine. Eh? Go, Gigi, go. What? If you say to the horse, come over here, always go slightly to the left. (laughs) (laughs) Like I say, Focus was fine, but Sclerus was in a bad way. I mean, he'd taken a mace to the head. (laughs) He he got back to his line and he just slid off the horse. His men picked him up and started to try and treat him. He was in quite (laughs) a bad way. His, his horse was covered in blood, Sclerus's blood, by this point, and it had enough. It had been a day for that horse. Yeah. So the horse ran straight through the ranks, and we've seen this before. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, in the battle, yeah, and everyone thinks, the, oh, they're running, so the army lose face. And the very first focus that we came across, yeah. Leo Focus, was one, of the, one of the ancestors of uh, nephew Focus, yep. if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, yeah, the horse. Rides through the ranks. Everyone sees the horse, recognises the horse, and panics. Yeah. Sclerus's forces run. Yeah. And apparently this puts an end to the war. Oh. Yeah. Uh, presumably Sclerus took quite some time to recover, and when he did, the momentum of the rebellion just faded away. However, he's very much alive still. Mm. Having nowhere else to go, he flees to Baghdad, and was treated with cautious respect <laughs> by the caliph. Uh, it's like, okay, you, you could be useful. I kind of put you under house arrest, and uh, if you ever want to go and attack the Empire for me, maybe you can at some point in the future. Kind of arrangement. So, no, no, I've got a hell of a headache. Yeah. <laughs> and then the sources just go completely quiet for six years. Oh, okay. We know nothing that happens in the next six years. Presumably, Basil spends his time learning how to be Emperor from Lycopinus. Uh, and judging from what happens later, Basil presumably starts to realise that the old man was never going to give up any power ever. Again, speculation here. 
but he most likely also came to despise the aristocracy that Lycaponos seems to represent. The power. The powerful. Yeah, the powerful seemed determined to never let the emperor actually rule. He's still he's still young. He's getting into his mid-twenties uh, here, but mm. yeah, he, he's old enough to want to rule himself, and yeah. also old enough to realise that he, everyone around him sees him as a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. That must be very frustrating. Oh, yes. So for six years, Basil stewed and learnt how to rule and to plot. I guess working with uh, the other Basil's being quite helpful in some ways. Oh, yes. Oh, that's how you do it. Well, he learnt well, because one morning the capital awoke to the news that Basil Lycepinus had been arrested and exiled. The Lord Chamberlain was just gone overnight. So we just need these uh, exile sheets signed, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Oh, oh, de- oh, dear. I've actually put your name on this. Damn. Oh. Damn. Had to happen. Mm. Uh, Lycepinus was in contact with Sclerus in Baghdad. Well, of course. So, clearly, traitor. Yeah. Not only that, every single law created by the Lord Chamberlain in all his years of power were to be struck off the records. Trump style. <laughs> More so, because it was retroactive. No. Oh. Yeah. If a law said that you could acquire land for some reason, you had to get that land back. In one move, Basil had got rid of his Lord Chamberlain, but also his power base. Um, the powerful were the ones that were hit hard by this. Mm. Uh, the ones that, like, Kepinus had done favours for just suddenly found themselves a lot poorer, so they were less able to fight against this. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's very ballsy, actually. It's very ballsy for oh. being in your mid-twenties. Grudging to suddenly, suddenly go against the guy who set up the uh, the winning of the Civil War. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's in his late 20s by this point. Technically, he had been emperor for 25 years. Wow. Because remember, he was two. But he could finally now claim that he was in charge himself. Yeah. Just in time. Because all of a sudden, Roger turns up. Hello, sir! Who do I give this to? Oh, it's you now, is it? Wonderful. <laughs> yes, um, a message had arrived... The Bulgars were not happy with the whole we own you now thing that John Zimisky's had going on. Oh yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Forgot about that. If you remember, John had said, that's it, Bulgaria, you're ours now. Yeah. But the Romans didn't really take Bulgaria, the Russians did, and then the Romans beat the Russians. And the Russians only took about a third of Bulgaria, mm. just happened to get the royal family and the yeah. capital city, so... There were a lot of people in Bulgaria and a lot of strength in Bulgaria still, and they were all saying things along the lines of, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were starting to let it be known, especially whilst uh, Sclerus was doing his revolting, that uh, they're not happy about this, and they started fighting back and raiding into Roman land. Grr. And in fact, the story of what happened sounds a lot like a fairy tale. Because you get four brothers, all of them sons of a powerful Bulgarian count, and they had taken charge of a rebellion over Roman rule. This quickly grew, and is now a full-on war of independence, led Mm. by the four brothers. Now, I was putting this together, and I went, wow, this really does sound like a fairy tale. So much so, that uh, I've decided to present it as a fairy tale. (gasps) Yay! Are you ready for this fairy tale? Yes, I'm ready for a fairy tale. Well, I'm not going to read you a fairy tale. Aww. But no, no, it's fine. Because I I thought, well, I could read you a fairy tale. Or we could get in some fairy tale experts to read it for you. (gasps) 
Who? The Grim Reading. Oh, that's much better. Podcast. Matt and Adam. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, uh, if, if you're listening carefully, I think you can just about hear their um, introduction music starting up now. Oh, I can, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Ooh. I like this music. I thought it was just in my head. No. Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grim tale. My name is Matthew Hughes. And with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading. The Four Sons. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a... Grim Reading. Once upon a time, there lived an old count with four sons. The first was brave, the second strong, the third cunning, and the fourth loyal. Now, the Count loved all his sons, but the youngest most of all. The loyal one. Yeah. I assume that was in age order, sorry. (laughs) One day, a ruler from another kingdom came and announced, This land now belongs to my kingdom. All you can see is mine. All you can hear is mine. All you can feel is mine. The Count was struck with grief. His heart split in four pieces, and he died soon after. Oh, no. Now, the four sons buried their father north, south, east, and west, and all vowed that they would go forth into the world and fight to bring back their land. Oh, nice. The eldest son was called David, and he headed south to push back the invaders. David was a brave young man who knew no fear. I fear no one and no thing. I will go straight away and claim back our kingdom. With this, he rode for three nights and thirty, until one night he was killed by roadside vagabonds and vagrants. Oh dear, that's not ended well. No, that... Poor old David. Yeah, it's all over for David. But the next son, Moses, was strong and as relentless as the tide. He besieged the invaders' cities and led armies. But one day, a stone struck him between the eyes. He was knocked from his horse and stabbed to death. For Whoa! Even, for even the wind can fell the mightiest oak. Whoa! This is beautiful prose, This is not isn't it? ended well for him. That is a yeah. bad way to go. He was so young. <laughs> <laughs> In his prime. The third brother, Aaron, was sly and clever. Nice. He saw the fate of his other brothers and declared that eh, perhaps this new kingdom wasn't actually so bad after all. He decided that he could rule better than his brothers, and so he approached the new king and asked for the king's sister in marriage. In return, Aaron would be loyal to the new king. Oh, smart move, though. He's, he's like ingratiating himself. He's playing the long game, surely. He is, but it's sleazy, isn't it? Come on. I mean, he might have better ideas. I don't, I don't know. He's I'm a smart not, guy. I'm not impressed. You're not impressed? I'm not impressed with Also, Aaron. I'm thinking these are like these are like the houses of Hogwarts. I'm thinking he's Slytherin. <laughs> the strong ones, Ravenclaw, wasn't there brave? That's Gryffindor. Yeah. And then loyal Hufflepuff. <laughs> wow. Oh, blimey. Well, J.K. Rowling is very well read, <laughs> isn't she? No, it's a Roman history. Uh, so he's got a deal with the new king, yeah. However, none can be deceived like the sly man, as they say, and the new king was as sly as they come. Aaron was all set to marry the princess, 
But just before the wedding, it was discovered that the bride-to-be was not the sister of the new king. In her place, the king had sent the bishop's sister. Oh no! He's done the old switcheroo, the old bride switcheroo. (laughs) The old bride switcheroo. (laughs) Classic. Oh, it's sly on sly. They're each trying to out-trick each other. Oh, he's been played. Uh, He's not impressed. And in a rage, Aaron killed the bishop and would undoubtedly have killed more. But it was then that the youngest brother, Samuel, who was the loyalist of them all, caught up with Aaron and slew his treacherous brother where he stood. Whoa! He would be the one to avenge their father. Uh Uh-oh, okay, it's down to one. It's down to Hufflepuff. Wait, hang on a second. The most loyal one is the one that killed his brother. He's loyal to the land and to his father's legacy. So Aaron was like, the new king can have the land, but I'll be ingratiated into his new court. Whereas right. Samuel was like, not on my watch. His responsibility is that his family should rule over the land in some capacity. Exactly. So by doing that, he will... In that way, his... he's being loyal to his family by killing his brother. Got <laughs> it? Smart. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay. And so, in this way, Samuel became the last remaining son of the previous king. And he went forth to win back his land. The end. Mind-blowing story. I love that. Me too. What do you reckon? 10 out of 10? I would say so. Definitely 10 out of 10. Well, that's a first for us. <laughs> it's the first. That's, that's it's the highest ranking story we've ever done. It came out of nowhere. <laughs> it's unexpected. It was amazing, though. It deserves it. Definitely. Thank you very much yeah. to Matt and Adam for, for reading that for us. I thoroughly enjoyed it, or at least I'm guessing I will. Full disclosure, we're recording this before they record their bit, but... It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It was good. I, well, Jamie just heard me read it, um, yeah. so I, I won't be as good, so... That is honestly uh, pretty much historically correct, apart from the obvious fairy tale elements. There were four brothers who led the uh, fighting. Two were killed early on. Aaron tried to... Um, just defect, and so Samuel killed his own brother. Samuel is now the Tsar of the Balkars. Nice. Yeah, he is going to lead the fight back. Did they call the king the Tsar? They did by this point, yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, obviously derived from Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, during the revolt of Sclerus, Samuel had taken the opportunity to make his feelings known, and he had started raiding into Roman land. Basil realised that this was his chance to fully establish himself at last. He was going to prove that he didn't need his Lord Chamberlain, and he didn't need his pesky generals who were revolting all the time. He was going to go and do this himself. He found that the Bulgarian Tsar was not willing to fight in the open, however. He had taken to the mountain ranges. So Basil set up ambushes for when the Bulgars finally came down. Big mousetraps. Yeah, exactly. But then one of Basil's generals, known as Stephen the Short, (laughs) which I'd like to think was an ironic nickname. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm thinking really thin and lanky, though. Anyway, Stephen the Short came in, leaned over the emperor. (laughs) Everyone looked up. Hi, Stephen! (laughs) What's the weather like? Ow! (laughs) <laughs> Stephen doesn't take kindly to those jokes. No. no. Anyway, he came in to inform the Emperor that uh, one of his other generals, 
a man named Leo was revolting in Philippopolis. Uh, which was fun to say, because you get to say Philippopolis. Cursing, Basil hurriedly broke up his camp and had to head back to the city that he was headquartered in at the time, uh, because there was a revolt going on. Mm. However, Samuel saw this hurried retreat and decided to make the most of it. The Bulgars came storming out of the mountains, just as the Romans and Basil were trying to get out of the area. Uh. They were absolutely routed. Basil only just escaped with his life, losing his baggage and his tent. He lost his tent? He lost his tent, the royal tent. Oh my goodness. It's got all the mod cons in it and everything. Yeah, flushable toilet. Yeah. Skylight. Digital radio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were no stations. There's nothing to pick up at that time. No, no. But there was a digital radio. That is very impressive. Yeah. Used it as like a paperweight. Not good. Embarrassing. Very embarrassing. A ragtag Roman army arrived in Philippopolis, only to find Leo just calmly getting on with his duty. Yes. Can I help you? Hi. <laughs> What's the problem? So, so, hang on. Friend or foe? <laughs> <laughs> See? He was diligent. Yeah, yeah. It was Leo. Yeah. A furious Basil just turned round to stare at Stephen the Short and then looked up a bit. <laughs> uh, That's his crotch. Look up, look up. <laughs> and just demanded to know what the hell, Stephen. I've rushed back to put down this rebellion. Because of that, the Bulgars have slaughtered us all. And look, he's not bloody revolting. He's just writing reports, which are very well written, <laughs> although feel slightly embellished. <laughs> Stephen the Short insisted that he had relayed accurate information. Clearly uh, not! Well, Basil grabbed Stephen by the beard and threw him to the ground. Must have been a very long beard. He had a long beard, climbed up, yeah. Rapunzel style, <laughs> and just few, fouled him. A few of his servants just like, grabbed it onto yeah. like, Basil's legs, like, Paul, heave! A very angry Basil headed back to the capital, tail between his legs, swearing to himself that they would pay, they would all pay. Oh yes, they would pay. Well, that's, that's not the language of a sane person, <laughs> is it? It's the language of a very angry man. Yes. Apparently his, he had a bit of a temper, did Basil. Did he? Yeah, did. However, when he got back to the capital, fuming, uh, he found an equally furious focus. An angry focus as well. Why? Well, why the hell had the Emperor gone off to fight without taking his lead general? Focus just hadn't been told about it. Basil had just literally nipped off with the army. I'm and the best thing you've got, sir. Yeah, Basil wanted to prove that he could do it. Mm. And uh, he hadn't taken his best general, and he'd lost. I promise I won't coup. <laughs> so, Focus, not happy at all. In fact, many of the powerful were starting to mutter about this emperor. Surely someone a bit more accustomed to their needs would be better. Hmm. Some started to meet in groups and discuss the possibility of Bardus Focus taking the job. I mean, he's got a good name. Yeah, it's, it's his uncle was good, yeah. sort of. No. We didn't no. mind him. So rebellions, quiet word of rebellion anyway, started to whisper through the capital and beyond into the, the lands owned by the powerful. It was around this time that the dome in the Hagia Sophia fell down. Goats! <laughs> well, I should probably be accurate here. It was one of the side domes. It wasn't the main one. The main dome got a huge, massive crack down the middle, though, and looked Ooh. like it was about to fall down. I did check. Apparently, this was not the goat's fault. I was going to say, like, they all died off, just one really old goat left that just finally <laughs> yeah. collapsed. 
I, I still think the goats might have had something to do with it, but equally, to be fair, it might have had something to do with the massive earthquake that hit the city. That is true, because the goats have... The goats are on like um, springs now, like anti-earthquake. Yeah, they've learned from last time. But yes. uh, springs have started to rust a bit, and also mm. it's really hard to hold a rope with hooves. That is true. And when you're shaking around, it just kind of slips. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Unfortunately, the the domes just went down. Um, oh, they must have felt so bad. <laughs> I think a couple of the goats kind of dived after the dome, trying to hold it up, and they just fell straight through. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, they're dedicated goats. They're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of these goats, it's like ninth, tenth generation of goat. Yeah. They've been looking after these domes. My father was a handler. My grandfather was a handler. My great, great, great grand. And you, my boy, will be a handler too. This dome has not fallen down in six weeks. And he smacks it and the whole thing crumbles. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Earthquake! <laughs> earthquake! Jump up and down! <laughs> yeah, that's how the earthquake started. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a big earthquake, this one. It really tore the city apart. Uh, the Hagiosphere actually fared better than quite a few public buildings. Roman concrete. Well, uh, many of the churches collapsed entirely in the city, presumably as did many homes and businesses, although that's not mentioned because they weren't mm. seen as important. Uh, the next few months, the city spent rebuilding... Basil went up in the estimation of the general population as he spared no expense getting the churches restored. If it was oh. a public building, he poured money from the treasury into having it repaired, oh. which is good. However, while all this was going on, the powerful continued their talk of revolt. Many of them met in Chasianon, which is a theme on the east of Anatolia, so a fair okay. distance from the capital, uh, but where, where a lot of their land was. I imagine it's like a building shaped like a skull and crossbones. Yeah, exactly. It was it was halfway up a mountain. As well. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a nice city nearby that they all lived in and just had normal lives. But yeah. when they were plotting, they went on the black robes. Yeah, exactly. Flaming torches. It was decided after a good evening of chanting. <laughs> focus was going to be the emperor, definitely. Okay. Does he know? Oh yeah, he's he's very much on board. He's there. He's he's got the special mask on. Oh, the visitor's mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, it was just as they were preparing themselves, Focus is going to raise the men and uh, declare himself emperor, when, um, oh, who's this passing through? I don't know. I can't see out the window. Oh, oh. It's, Who was it, Rob? It's Sclerus. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's coming from Baghdad with some men. Apparently he'd heard of the emperor's defeat to the Bulgars and decided that now's time to give revolting another go. Oh. Yeah. You get the impression there was a period of confusion because Sclerus is passing through the land where Focus is building his base. Mm. There would have been the Focus and the Sclerus factions just trying to figure out what, what to do. Like, what the hell's going on? Um. Are, are we enemies? I mean, we were fighting before in the Civil War, but now we're both revolting. But you're revolting to put your man, and we're revolting to put our man on the throne, so is this actually a race? Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Focus was the more powerful of the two. I mean, he had the main army now. Fewer migraines. Yes, and fewer migraines. So when he suggested a compromise, Sclerus was willing to listen. They would work together, Focus suggested. Then they would split the empire east and west. Focus would get Europe and the capital, Sclerus would get Asia. Splitting the empire in two has historically worked out wonders. Yes. So let's keep doing that until everyone's got half a shed. <laughs> anyway, Sclerus agrees to do this. 
Okay, those terms sound good. I'll, I'll come and meet you in person. We'll iron out the details. Sclerus arrived in person and was immediately arrested. Ah, oh, wonderful. Yes, this was all a ruse. <laughs> With Sclerus put to one side, Focus was revolting alone. He soon was setting up across the Bosphorus, just like Sclerus had done a few years before. Basil, meanwhile, was attempting to figure out what the how to do, because there's no way he can defend the Empire with the troops he's got. No. This isn't like before, where he could call up Focus, because Focus was the person revolting. What he could try. He could... Tr- I've got a problem, Focus. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hold up a mirror. <laughs> What's he going to do? Crocodiles. Not Crocodiles. Elephants! No, you're still quite oh. far away, though. Uh, there oh. was one fighting force that had impressed the Empire of late that might be able to help. Ooh, the, um, the Bulgars with Sir Samuel. Not the Bulgars, because Oh, remember, the Russians! Oh, yes. He sent word to Sviatoslav's successor, Vladimir, who is currently the Prince of Kiev. Any chance you could send me some of those really scary-looking Russian Vikings? Duh. Uh, about 6,000 would be fantastic. You want 6,000, we give him 6,001. <laughs> no, that wasn't quite the answer. Uh, his answer was, well, yeah. Duh. <laughs> we have a new accent. Uh, <laughs> but instead of just showing off and adding another Viking in, the answer was yes, only if you give me your sister. Your sister, she looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Basil, seeing the writing on the wall, went, yeah, all right. (laughs) Basil's sister probably went, what? (laughs) (laughs) Just just watching him write the letter. And I will promise to give you your, my sister. Hang hang on. (laughs) No, I haven't agreed to that. Then she suddenly gags and dragged from the room. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, But to be fair... This horrible story. Uh, Basil did send one back saying, yes, you can have my sister uh, to marry, but only if you convert to Christianity. Ooh. To which the reply was... Duh. Yeah, exactly. I will convert to your Christianity. Yeah, but apparently Vladimir had been searching for a new religion for a while and had sent envoys out to, like, uh, areas of Judaism, oh, ages, Islam, Christianity. Oh, he's so new age Yeah, uh, apparently... Uh, he, he's the kind of person that's healing crystals, isn't he? <laughs> well, apparently his uh, envoys were so impressed by the Hajj Sophia and everything that went on in the Hajj Sophia and the Nia, presumably, or just uh, the, the pomp and ceremony that went on, they went back to Vladimir and went, yeah, this is the religion. It is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) There is just gold all over the place. It is the religion of kings. There's a a vibrating dome. I don't know how... I love the big decorative crack in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, The deal was struck. Um, However, as you can imagine, it takes a while for 6,000 Viking Rus to uh, get themselves organised and get down to Constantinople. Sober them up. Yeah. Then persuade them. Yeah. Sober them up again. Yeah. Persuade them again, because they've forgotten. <laughs> but then just say the word fighting. Yeah! <laughs> Maybe they'll like that. Maybe yeah. at some point we'll be able to ask some experts. I hope they'll like that. Anyway, it took a year of desperately holding against the advances of Focus before the Rus arrived. So Basil is just about keeping the Bosphorus uh, from being taken. 
it's a close fought thing. But the following winter, longships were spotted on the Black Sea. <gasps> Basil was quick to put his new forces into effect. On a cold February night, Basil personally set out leading his new troops over the stretch of water close to Focus's camp. Personally? Yes, this is in the dead of night. They get as close to the camp, which is near the shore, as they possibly can. They wait just offshore until there's just enough light that they can make sure that those blobs are definitely humans. And that's when the flamethrowers start. Light them up. Oh yeah, they, they just, <laughs> with no warning, just spew liquid fire into the camp. The uh, Focus's forces are awoken on fire. Oh, those that aren't hit jump up or were being attacked to see thousands of very scary-looking Viking Rus storming the shore, axes in hand. I am never going to complain about my alarm going off on Monday <laughs> morning ever again. Yeah. Uh, the men were just taken unaware and destroyed. Wow. Focus, however, wasn't actually in the camp. He was with another portion of his army, so he got lucky. Uh, and the next month or so, Basil and Focus circle each other uh, with their forces. Um, <laughs> I think face to face. <laughs> sort of Amdram style. Yeah, <laughs> Lots in. of people clicking. <laughs> yes. No, there's manoeuvres in the, in the forces, shall we say. Uh, Focus wants to try and cross the water to get into the capital. He figures if he can get into the capital, he can win. Yeah. Uh, Basil's trying to block his way. Eventually, however, they realise that a fight's just going to have to happen to end this. So the forces line up. Basil's Viking Rus were a scary bunch, as you can imagine. And as yeah. the battle starts, they manage to push Focus's diminished forces back. It's looking good for Basil. But Focus had a plan. I have a plan. How's Focus going to end this in one quick move. Leans over, yeah. pulls out a, a case under his bed, click, click. No, 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 does the combination first. Combination, yeah. Moves side, click, click, opens the lid. Yeah. It's a glow. You see the glow on his face and he just smiles, just grins. The next scene, you see the tent, he walks out of the tent, mace over his shoulder. Oh, yes. It's his signature move. Yeah. With just one blow of his mace, which is just, it's like gold, big cross on it. It's yeah. just, oh, it's a, it's the holy mace. <laughs> uh, yeah, he could just end this, just like he had defeated Sclerus. Yeah. So picture the scene, and again, very much like before, the troops are fighting, but Focus realises that he, if he can just get to the Emperor, it's all over. This time, I'm going to quote. Focus thought to himself that if he could get to the Emperor, the rest of them would easily be overcome. So he spurred on his horse and furiously charged towards him, cutting through the enemy ranks and appearing to be unstoppable. Then, just as he was approaching the Emperor, he suddenly came about, rode up a hillock, that dismounted from his horse, laid down on the ground, and died. What? Yeah, that is the quote. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Were you imagining the swelling music in the background? Oh, yeah, then just yeah. suddenly instruments <laughs> dropping out, then a trumpet going... <laughs> oh. Did he hit himself? Well, we've got no idea. This is all the information we've got. 
Some historians claim that he must have been hit by something, a stray arrow or a rock. That makes sense. But other sources really make it clear that there were no marks on him. Uh, so there were some the suggestions trauma. <laughs> that just the stress of the situation led to a stroke. <laughs> And he was charging mace aloft across the battlefield, heading towards the Emperor, where he suddenly just dropped down dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So either way, I mean, we have the most anticlimactic end to a battle. <laughs> uh, since if you remember, and I, I, I just didn't have time to f figure out who it was. Do you remember the story of uh, a general who delivered a, an inspiring speech and then his horse got spooked and rode straight into a door and the general died? <laughs> yes. I can't remember who it was. but that, Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it, it's the most anticlimactic end to a battle since that story. But this one takes place during the battle. I think it's more anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, it's, so I'm, I'm Imagine the music, the fan, it's in slight sapia <laughs> tones, the sun's rising, he's Slow on motion. the hill, then just falls off his horse. You can hear the the speech that Focus delivered the day before to his men over the top because you oh, can hear yeah. it. So slow motion him riding yeah. and the words, men, we will fight for our freedom. You can see it close on his face, intense yeah. look, then suddenly eyes roll back. Yeah. <laughs> he falls off and then Which? Focus in the past delivering the speech just pauses and it's like... <laughs> Focus, get up, go on, man, get up. <laughs> so, rebellion put down, yeah? No. No. Because there is one man who can still lead this rebellion. Sacrilius. Sclerus. Sclerus. Yeah, Focus's wife hears the news and decides, you know what, I'm going to release Sclerus and he can take over the rebellion. So Sclerus is let free from his prison. Sorry about that, Sclerus. Do you want to take over? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but he's a bit scared of bright lights and stuff. <laughs> so's headaches. Yeah, that <laughs> ringing, constant ringing, is it? <laughs> well, Sclerus's second revolt did not last long. Uh, the damage was done when he heard from Basil that Sclerus could just give up and keep all his titles. No punishments. Sclerus agreed. You know what? I've had enough of this. I surrender. Don't blame him, to be honest. The two met. Basil, upon seeing the ageing Sclerus, who apparently his eyesight was starting to go... Well, he's had a mason out. <laughs> yeah, I think one source mentions cataracts, but maybe it's just a bit of mace-eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common condition after facing fighting focus. Yes. Well, um, yeah, uh, Basil and Sclerus met, uh, and Basil saw the, the old man and said, and I quote, Can this old dotard truly be who I have feared for so long? Anyway, there you go, Basil at last really could this time properly feel like he had control over the Empire. Sort of. No. <laughs> <laughs> he soon received word that Cherson had uh, been taken. Remember Cherson? That's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, north of the Black Sea. It's where Justinian II was exiled to. Yeah, it had been taken by Vladimir. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> well, Vladimir had... I take your time, spasiba. Yeah, Vla Vladimir also sent a message. Uh, you have my men. Where's my wife? Because she hadn't Ooh. actually been sent yet. And uh, your, those 6,000 men are still in your city. One word for me, they will stop being allies. In Russia, the wife comes before the man. <laughs> How nice. Um, <laughs> so, Anna, Basil's sister, was shipped off to live with the northern barbarians. Spasiba. Probably not best pleased. Uh, but, I mean, Vladimir does uh, convert to Christianity. That's good. And I believe becomes a saint at some point. S saint Vladimir? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not in my notes, but I seem to remember saying it. He he was a full-on... He had, like, 80 concubines and liked murdering people and all sorts. And apparently, once he turned to Christianity, <laughs> he really calmed that down. Yeah. Once his new wife came along... He four, appeared to be a Christianity, yeah. Uh, only four or five concubines then. I mean, yeah. really, really... Really, yeah, really it. slimmed down. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, according to some sources, the dome in the Hajj Sophia fell down. No! <laughs> Well, the dates are disputed. Uh, this earthquake that destroyed the dome either happened in 986 or 989, but I'm saying it happened twice. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying the new replacement goats were not actually up to the job yet. Anyway, whilst the dome was being put up once more, uh, Basil, Basil was planning. He was still seething inside that Samuel and the Bulgars had humiliated him, so he was going to show them, and this time he was going to be prepared. According to the sources, Basil, by this age, had become a very serious man. Apparently he didn't mind to party a bit when he was younger, uh, but that had all gone by this point. He didn't care for anything fancy. Not in an overly pious way like Knight Kephorus with his hair shirt. With Basil, it was seemed to be a genuine, I just don't have time for that kind of thing. Oh, really? Yeah, I've got stuff to do, I don't have time for the fanciness and the pomp. He spent his time training his forces. Like I say, he's not going to make this mistake again. He messed up last time and he knows it. Yeah. Not only did he train his forces, he trained himself. In fact, I'll quote Salas here. He had an accurate knowledge of the details of army life. And by that, I do not mean the general acquaintance with the composition of the army, the relative functions of individual units in the whole body, or the various groupings and deployments suited to the different formations. His experience of the army matters went further than that. The duties of the military ranks, the duties of the junior officers, the tasks proper to the rank immediately junior to them, all these were no mysteries to Basil. And the knowledge stood him in good stead in his wars. Accordingly, jobs appropriate to those ranks were not devolved to others, and the Emperor being personally conversant with the character and combat duties of each individual, knowing what each man was fitted either by temperament or by training, used him in this capacity and made him serve there. Oh God, he'd be a horrible boss, wouldn't he? We are talking micromanagement to yes. the extreme. He knows everyone's name in the army. Yeah. And what their duties are. He's yeah. the kind of emperor that would be walking through the camp and suddenly point <laughs> at someone and say, I thought your shift was tonight. Yeah, it's 11.32, you should be on duty. Oh, yeah. Nightmare boss. Yeah. Your, your break was 15 minutes ago. What are you still doing here near the water cooler? After feeling slightly out of depth fighting Focus and Sclerus and having to rely on the scary Viking Russ, it's yeah. like, no, we're going to do this properly now. And the only way to do this is for me to be sure that I know what I'm doing. So he pored over books of strategy and logistics. He set new training regimes. You might have noticed that recently we've had quite a few stories and sources of personal valour going on in battles. Instead yeah. of armies, we're getting stories of individuals fighting for pretty much the first time ever in the series. That's We've certainly point, got this. So it seems that this was something that was becoming popular at the time, this idea of personal bravery. Almost like a, it's like the, the building of myths. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Basil had no time for this. <laughs> Basil knew through reading that an army needed to be disciplined and needed to be focused and work together. You, you can't, you can't just do what you want at the spur of the moment. Yeah, Basil put an end to this idea. If anyone broke formation in his army, they would be punished severely as if they were a criminal. He also started to personally inspect the troops. 
Oh no. Down to the sharpness of their weapons. Wow. Yeah, this is the Emperor doing weapon inspection. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> the men apparently grumbled about this quite a bit. You can imagine, yeah. Yeah. So this is a necessary dogma. But it couldn't be denied that over the next few years, the Roman forces, already the best they had been in centuries, were now ridiculously good. Is he the kind of emperor that could just throw a carrot and say, I would like it in six equal sections <laughs> in the air, then suddenly whoosh, and it'd land on a plate perfectly cut? Yeah. Not because one soldier's Jeff. done lots of things. It's because six of them know exactly where to cut on the <laughs> yes. carrot as it flies through the air. Yeah. yeah. And one of them's Jeff. Yeah, exactly. He managed to do that. That's how well trained. Wow. I mean, he shouldn't be in the army. There's a no. ban on, but... What he wasn't, he just turned up. <laughs> yeah. Just listened from the sidelines. <laughs> He's in charge of looking after the pigs. Uh, and then Basil figured something out. Because ever since the start of the very first series, we have talked about fighting seasons. We've talked about troops wintering in places. Yeah. And you've before asked, like, well, why are they doing that? Well, it's very hard to fight over winter. Supply lines are hard. It's just tricky to be out in the field in those conditions. I get that, yeah, yeah. It's tricky. There's a reason why people don't do it. But you get an advantage. Well, Basil decided there's, there's no need for that. As long as we are organised, trained and prepared, there's no reason why we can't fight all year round. So, everyone get ready for the cold. Get used to that. Thermal indies. Yeah. Let's, commissioned let's, everybody. Let's do some cold training. Everyone had to stand with an ice cube on their tongue for half an hour or something like that. Ooh. I don't know how else you train for the cold. Um, <laughs> eventually, Basil decided he was ready, and he set out with these elite forces and headed to Bulgaria. And so began the incredibly long, slow, methodical advance with very little way of excitement. <laughs> because as you can imagine, Basil is not going to be storming in doing flashy manoeuvres and exciting Scipio moves. <laughs> no, not for Basil. Basil set up supply lines and then only moved when he was absolutely certain of not just success, but being able to redeploy the supply lines completely perfectly. Well, that is intelligent, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, boring for the troops. Now, we don't actually have many details of the war in Bulgaria at this time, but just know that it is slow but firm progress. Yeah. Like someone's slowly pressing on plasticine. So, <laughs> so they're making the advancement, but they are making it. Yeah, well, Samuel's trying to fight back using guerrilla uh, tactics. Yeah. Uh, but guerrilla tactics only work when your enemy when can you got be... Gorillas. Well, A, when you've got guerrillas, and B, when your enemy can be caught out of position. Basil just never was out of position. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have like regimented toilet breaks as well, aren't they? Like, of a certain time. Like you, you wouldn't even be... Yeah. <coughs> Three, two, one, urinate! It's a rotating system. <laughs> Literally? <laughs> <laughs> like a sprinkler. Yeah, the, the stream never ended. It was... <laughs> As soon as one man was over, the next one had begun, because that was his time. <laughs> Spinning in a circle. <laughs> but as this slow but firm progress was being made, news suddenly came from the east. Bit of background on this, though. The year before, the Emir of Aleppo, remember Aleppo had been taken, so this is now under the protection of the Empire. Uh, so the Emir had written to Basil, saying, The Fatimids are about to take the city, you need to come and protect me. You said you'd protect me. Basil had sent some troops uh, to Bautzes, who was uh, ruling in Antioch. You might remember Bautzes. He was the general who yeah. kind of accidentally took Antioch yeah. years and years before. Whoops. Well, he's a bit older now, and he's still over there. Whoops! Yeah. Um, anyway, those men had been sent over, but they'd been defeated. That was about a year ago. Right. 
Now Basil received more news from the East. The Fatimids were back, and they were going to take Antioch. It was bad enough they'd taken Aleppo, but Antioch mm. had a, a special place in the Romans' heart. Mm. Uh, that just wouldn't that. do. No. Yeah. See, that's the trouble with being so organised as well as, as an emperor. You, you, can't, you, you can't really do that. There are too many variables on Earth. Because like, if that happens, then you've got to redeploy. Yeah. And what you've gained will not be gained unless you have a secondary army that you can send with the same training and the same dedication. Well, there's more problems than that because oh. obviously everything takes a long time to move around back then. That's true. I mean, Roger's good, but he's not superhuman. Well, he is. He, is. he survived but... <laughs> over a thousand years. I mean, But looking at the dates, Basil realised that if he was lucky, the city might last a month or so. It was probably mm. going to fall within the month. Antioch is about a three-month march away. Well, run that. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much got it. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> well, first of all, he rushed back to the capital, not with his yep. forces, just him. So he was <clears throat> able to get to back to the capital really quickly. Yeah. Once he was in the capital, he raised as many troops as he could, because you're absolutely right, he's not got everyone with him. Jeff! <laughs> well... This is, sure, sir? this is really where the organisation and the training kicks in, because despite the forces in Bulgaria, he is apparently able to raise 40,000 more men. Wow. That number's probably exaggerated, but still, it's, it's in a significant number of men. However, he's still got to get to Antioch, uh, probably within three weeks now, because he's had to get back to the capital. Yeah. How do you get to Antioch with an army in three weeks? We either sail. That's the first thing that came to my mind. It's like, why didn't they sail? Because, I mean, sailing they could have done. So presumably they didn't have the boats. They didn't have right. the number of boats. Apparently sailing wasn't an option. You know how we practice marching? Yes. We're going to quadruple that pace. <laughs> <laughs> but that's against the rules. New rules! <laughs> run, mothers, run! Well, it wasn't, wasn't quite run, because obviously that just isn't physically possible. Basil asks one simple question. How many donkeys can you get by tomorrow? Apparently they could get quite a lot. Because well, apparently every single man was given two donkeys. One to ride, and one for all his gear. I guess they're quite a common animal, though, because like, as a farm animal... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just seen as, you know, they, they, they're good for carrying things. Yeah. Genius! And I mean, they're not like as swift as horses, but no. they keep going. Swifter than a man. Yeah, exactly. They keep going, and especially a donkey that just has a person with no gear on, and then another yeah. donkey with just gear, so they're relatively light. Oh, I bet that the donkey carrying the humans like, yeah, 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 <laughs> way. So, me. if we can believe the numbers, 80,000 donkeys and 40,000 men cross the Bosphorus, line up, and are given a simple order. I'd like to think Basil just stood up and shouted the word go. <laughs> because it was a race to Antioch. How fast can you get there? I like the idea of just him just like pulling out a big scroll, really long, rolling <laughs> out. Go! <laughs> Basil, leading from the front here, he, he, was, he probably had a horse that's cheating. <laughs> Come on! Um, 16 days later... I imagine that's impressive. That is impressive. That's very impressive. Uh, 17,000 men, so they don't all make it in that time. <laughs> there was a lot of donkeys just couldn't hack that pace. Uh, but a good chunk of them. Uh, 17,000 men reach Antioch, taking the Fatimids by surprise, to say the least. Where the hell did you come from? <laughs> Are they You're, meant to be in... <laughs> You're meant to be in Bulgaria right now. 
Um, yeah, the Fatimids fled back. Basil then spent a while in the east waiting for the rest of his men, and once they turned up, he did a bit of clean-up in the area, made sure everyone knew who was boss, uh, and then headed back to his war against Samuel. However, there was one thing that Basil noticed whilst travelling through Anatolia. Do you remember what John noticed when he headed through Anatolia? Everything's owned by the people. Yeah, well, um, Basil obviously was staying in towns and staying in the houses of prominent people in the area. It did not help that some of the powerful, currently staying in their land, wanted to impress Basil, and did so by giving him a show of opulence. Ah. Oh, this is, this is all of your land. <clears throat> That's very impressive. Yeah, as I've said earlier, Basil, remember, is a man of simple tastes. He doesn't go for shows of opulence, and when it's the powerful showing off that they think they're better than him... He does not take it kindly. He's also riding past lots of starving farmers who don't own their own land anymore and can't afford the rent. Basil finally gets back to the capital, and he's not in a good mood. In fact, he decides to release a new law. I'll quote here, The new constitution of the pious Basil the Young, by which are condemned those rich men who amass their wealth at the expense of the poor. This new law, named names and pointed fingers, a quote here. Wow, okay. The same is true of the Focus family, who, from father to son, over more than a century, also succeeded in retaining estates to which they have no legal title. It literally was Basil just pointing out the rich families and saying, you don't own this. What gives you the right to own that? I'm going to simplify this law, um, but essentially what it means is that all land must be proved to have been in the family for the last 61 years. If you could not prove that you've owned that land for more than 61 years, you will give that land back to the original owners, and you will receive no compensation for it. That's quite sweeping. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, even for people that have just bought land off somebody else... They weren't affected because that wasn't happening. So it's targeted. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there would have been some small cases, yeah, but yeah. I mean, that, that went under the radar. This okay. was huge swathes of areas where mm. there were small farmers on, small farms. Yeah. And the powerful had come along and bought them in bulk. Yeah. And then charged rent for the same farmers mm. to stay on the land. Right. Uh, well, now, the powerful had to give all of that back to the farmers for free. They get nothing for it. So, yeah, so overnight, countless citizens suddenly find themselves no longer in debt. Woo! Yeah, um, and no longer having to pay rent to the bloody rich. Would that mean also they're now paying more money towards the state as well, rather than to... Well, they'd be able to afford to pay the taxes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah um, as you can imagine, a lot of people very happy. Yes. As you can imagine... A lot of people very <laughs> unhappy. A lot of rich people very unhappy, yeah. Yeah, and they're the ones that you really don't want to displease if you want things to be working smoothly. But Basil decided, who cares, I'm doing this anyway. However, he did decide perhaps he should stay in the capital for a bit longer to keep an eye on things rather than go off to Bulgaria. Yeah. During that time, though, he was itching to get back to the war. It's what yeah. he wants to do. We put a lot of effort into it, and he invested a lot of time yeah. and energy. News from the front line wasn't great. Samuel was undoing the work that Basil had done. Um, See, that would annoy him more than anything else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, pretty much every advance had been undone. Samuel had pretty much taken back all of Bulgaria, including the land lost to the Russians, and was now making advances into Roman land. Ah. Yeah. 
Well, there was a bit of good news. Uh, one of Basil's generals, uh, his name was Nikephros Uranus. Um, yeah, I mean, some people tried to say it, Uranus, but they were laughed. Laughed out the room they were. It's like, yeah. seriously, his name's your anus. Yeah. Yeah. With a hyphen. Yeah, not not even Uranus. It's no. your anus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's how you had to say it. <laughs> because Nikephros, your anus, would get very, very upset and peculiar yeah. if you said his name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> He'd yeah. wince if you didn't say that one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, your anus managed to uh, defeat... We're 12. Yeah, uh, we really are. He managed uh, to defeat Samuel personally in a battle near Thermopylae. I'm going to call him Nikephros, just so we can get through this without laughing too much. Fair enough. Uh, Nikephros was able to ford a river um, that Samuel thought was impassable and fell upon the Bulgarian Tsar. Samuel was wounded in this battle and only survived because he lay down with the dead, pretending to be dead himself until night fell and he was able to sneak away. Fair enough. Yeah, so uh, clever. Uh, however, overall, uh, like I say, Samuel is actually winning this war at the moment. Good. So Basil, understandably, he's itching to go back. A, a few years go by and um, he manages to settle the capital and make sure that the powerful are less powerful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's time to, to muck in again, get sorted. He was putting his fighting boots on, he was, when Roger does a little cough. <coughs> Hello, sir. Jesus, didn't even see you come in there. Um, yeah. Some news. Well, uh, it's the East again. Yeah, we don't have time to go into details. It's uh, a section I've decided to skim past for time reasons. Just know that Basil, in another whirlwind tour, not quite as fast as last time, put down the threat in Syria. Yes, that's right, back to Syria yeah. again. He then heads up into Georgia, which is becoming a thing. Yeah, we're talking just past Armenia, that sort of region. So the, the Georgians that live there sort of wear traditional 17th, Oh yeah, full, full Georgian dress, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Very advanced for the time with the Georgians. Yeah. yeah, the death of a ruler there meant that land was being ceded to the empire due oh. to a, a certain will that had been forced to be put into place. <laughs> when you die, the land goes to the empire. Yeah, so that person oh. died, the land now goes to the Empire. Uh, whilst um, Basil was sorting this out, uh, messengers were sent to Cairo to the Caliph of the Fatimids. Hmm. Any chance you want to not fight for ten years? I'm quite busy, you're quite busy. Let's, uh, let's leave it off for a bit, shall we? Uh, and a deal was made. Ten-year peace deal. The year 1000 rolls around <gasps> at this point. Oh! oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what? We're 66 years away from 1066. Yeah, I know. That is insane. Yeah, I know. It feels like yesterday, even though it really wasn't. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really close to where in this country history starts when you're in primary school. So therefore, that's when you think history starts. Yeah. <laughs> 1066. Um, yeah, yeah, we are close. Wow. We've also now, and I know we started just before year zero, but in my head, Augustus, Year zero. We've now covered definitely a thousand years of history, person by person. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I imagine they had an amazing New Year's party. Uh, Basil didn't. He was there planning, plotting. Oh yeah, but would knock and say, come on, have a, have a cocktail, sir. No. We're going to party like it's 999. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. The Millennium Bug came along. <laughs> back then it was literally just a bug. <laughs> just, just smallpox. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike our Millennium Bug, they didn't actually deal with it beforehand, so lots of people died. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, Basil's finally feels secure enough to leave the East alone, leave the capital alone, and go and deal with the Western Front. Yes. So here we go, Basil in <laughs> Bulgaria. All, all the army in Bulgaria is like, oh no, he's back. <laughs> quick! <laughs> quick, quick. Sort it out. But polish Rub the sword. that out. Put that tent back. <laughs> oh God, it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> Stand up straight for the love of God. Who? That's not even your armour. <laughs> is that a blow up sheep? Because <laughs> he got very angry about those before. <laughs> yeah. Um, ba- Basil's back. And in typical Basil style, the progress suddenly was very slow. Very methodical, but oh, damn it, it was working. It's like a glacier. Yeah. So he spends the next four years slowly, slowly taking back the land that he won the first time he was over there. A city here, a town there, but uh, never too quickly. After this period, he had most of the eastern half of the Bulgarian Empire under his control. Just as before, Samuel's guerrilla tactics just didn't work, because Basil was never out of place. No gorillas. And then for five years, uh, we get very few details. A couple of major cities defect to the Empire. A couple of battles take place, going in Basil's favour. But that's about all we know. Do you think they defected you to boredom? <laughs> Probably. Being bored. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's like, fine, fine, fine. Whatever. <laughs> because Basil's realised the secret. If the whole army in unison sing, I know a song that will get on the nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Take it! Here are the keys! Just take it! It wasn't going all Rome's way, uh, though. Samuel was able to kidnap several important Roman figures during this time, but generally Rome are winning this. Then, between 1004 and 1014, we get no details at all. Okay. The sources go dark. The literal Dark Ages. Uh, yeah, I mean, Skylitzes states that Basil was fighting Samuel for at least part of the year for this whole decade. But some historians think that he probably went back to the capital and just ran the empire for a while because we get no details of any fighting whatsoever. Schrodinger's emperor. Oh, exactly. He was in both places. Either way, it's in 1014 that we hear of action once again, and this time Basil is taking his forces through a pass that he used often. However, Samuel had recently managed to take the fortified position that protected the pass. So Basil, being Basil, went, well, we're not using that pass then. So he's just not going to do it. So he, he tells his men, come on, men, pack up. We're going to go the long way around, and everyone grumbles. No. And he says, no, cut that out. Mm. Do you want to live or not? Yeah. But then one of his more daring commanders, perhaps a bit fed up with this war that is dragged on literally decades by this point, he, he approaches the emperor and he suggests something. Basil would stay where he was and then make as if he was about to attack the Bulgars. Put on a show. Meanwhile, and I quote here, Xiphius would, according in his own words, go and see if he could find anything profitable and likely to solve their problem. <laughs> this was hardly the typically detailed plan that Basil liked. No. <laughs> the, the plan was literally, Basil, make some noise, I'll nip round the back and see if anything happens. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't, don't ask any questions. <laughs> yeah, you could just imagine Basil just staring. Maybe Xiphius had done the paperwork. He'd come prepared Ooh. to this meeting. It or sounded vague to begin fake with. Fake paperwork. Paperwork. Yeah. He had a big, thick file, and to be honest, Basil, that's all Basil needed. Yeah, he doesn't look through it. It's no. just, that's fine, okay. Well, I can see you've done it, your yeah. homework. Yeah. 
Basil started making a fortified position, giving Xiphias time to use goat paths to circuit the mountain and suddenly appear at the Bulgars' rear. This pincer movement works perfectly. The Bulgars panic and are just descended upon. Samuel only just escapes with his life. Thousands of Bulgars were killed or captured. The prisoners then were rounded up. We're talking thousands of men. If you can believe the source is 15,000. Basil has one simple order for these 15,000 men. Is it a kind of an Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars sort of order? No, no, he was, <laughs> he was going to make a point. Oh. Two sharp points <laughs> oh. to every single soldier. <laughs> yeah, okay. Ooh. Every okay. single one, apart from the occasional one, was blinded. The, the occasional right. one was left with one eye, apparently, to lead them all home. Because they weren't blinded and then, like, executed. They were blinded and sent back to Samuel as a message. Oh. I've had several messages in my life. <laughs> I've never had 15,000 men bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> because... I mean, that's one... <laughs> that's one hell of a performance review. <laughs> <laughs> So, Samuel, how do you think it went? Um, and then he just looks out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Could be better. If, <laughs> I'll be honest. If we... Oh, it's so grim. If we can believe Skylitzes, an already suffering Samuel, when he saw these thousands of men returning, collapsed in shock. He was revived, he called for water, he drank, and then suffered a heart attack. Oh, he died a couple of days later. Wow, okay. This was quite the message. It's one of those lingering messages, isn't it, that you keep playing on your mind at night? Yeah, as they keep filing past you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Single file as well, yeah. so it's even longer. I keep seeing them. That's because they're still walking past them. Yeah. One they at a time, been. sir. New regimental laws. Yeah, the, the Bulgars didn't give up straight away because no. Samuel had family members and they, they didn't like, just surrender there and then. Uh, four more years pass wow. uh, until finally they concede defeat. Uh, in the end, there was only one Bulgarian general left. And we... <laughs> Out of the whole army. <laughs> well, he still had his men, but yeah, uh, yeah, he was a high up general and he wasn't giving up. And we get the story of his death. Suddenly, just a flash of detail in this war where we get ne next to nothing. The general was called Ibatsis, and he had fled with his men to the mountains. Basil had sent him a letter, sent, essentially saying, I am paraphrasing here, uh, come on now, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Seriously. Ah, come on now. <laughs> ah, go on. <laughs> Ibatsis sent a letter back, deliberately vague, uh, obviously stalling for time. Shortly after this... Ibatsis held a feast in honour to the Mother of God. It was a, a, a festival celebrated annually at the time. Mary. Yeah, you could call her that, yes. Yeah, th this was a tradition where many important people of the area would turn up to celebrate with someone hosting the event. Right. Uh, Ibatsis, for some reason, thought that was a good time to host the event. <laughs> <laughs> Big loud party! Cheer. Yeah, more lights! Cheer, cheer everyone up. Yeah. He wasn't surprised that the guests were a little thin on the ground this year. Well, uh, most of them are dead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he was surprised that a man named Eustathius turned up. You weren't on the list. Not only is he not on the list, he's a Roman governor. You're definitely not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a, apparently an awkward pause. Uh, I just think he's like greeting all the guests at the door. Yeah. And then takes his hand away... 
Well, Eustathius declared that he came in peace. Uh, our countries may be at war, but we could all celebrate the Mother of God together, surely. And after all, maybe I have something of interest to say. I've got this feeling like just behind him in the distance there's this giant mouse trap being <laughs> winched into place. <laughs> Massive bit of cheese being loaded, big bit you of rope. You can't see the whole thing. You just see some of the metal just, <laughs> just... above the tree line. <laughs> <laughs> well, they celebrated for a while. They ate, they drank. And then Eustathius asked for a personal audience with Ibatsis. Out of prying ears. Mm. Seeing the potential for a Roman deserter, Hybatsis agreed, and the two took a walk in the gardens. Oh, just no. by that big metal thing <laughs> that had just been set up. Would you care for some cheese, sir? <laughs> i quote the next part. When Eustathius was alone with Hybatsis in the garden, Eustathius suddenly threw him to the ground, planted his knee on the man's chest, for he was a strong man, and throttled him, calling his two servants to come quickly and help. They were standing close by, according to the prearranged plan, waiting to see what would happen. They came running as soon as they heard their master's voice. They seized Ibatsis and stuffed his tunic into his mouth, preventing him from calling out. They came forward to try and muffle the uh, the shouts, yeah. uh, but it's not an exact science, and they did not get it right, and the commotion was heard. They realise that guards are coming quickly. So Eustathius grabs a dagger and quickly jabs Ibatsis in his eyes, blinding him. Huh. Yeah. Then they drag him, bleeding still, but alive, to a door and then up some stairs to the second floor of a building that happened to be nearby. Right. By this point, everyone else from the party has ran outside to find out what's going on. And... Um, suddenly they, they start to resemble a mob because ah. they realise what's happened. This is full-on pitchfork and torch style mob, this is. This is Frankensteining. Yeah. They all start shouting that the Romans would be ripped limb from limb for what they have done. Eustathius, despairing, leaned out of the window down at the mob and gave the speech of his life. <laughs> um... <laughs> Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, no! <laughs> it's about a page long in Skylitzes, which is bizarre because there's so few details of this war, and suddenly we get all of this. Yeah. So, well, it goes something like this Do you really think I would have come here to kill Ibatsis if I didn't have a plan? The Emperor knows I'm here. He ordered me to come here. If he finds out that you have killed his agent, he will not rest until he tracks every single one of you down and kills you. Game of Thrones threatening. Oh, yeah. Love it. In fact, I will now quote him. If we die, we will reckon our deaths a happy end, since we have one who will avenge and demand payment for our blood. Just ask yourselves, how long will you be able to withstand him? Oh... Oh, yeah. Just the nameless. Yeah. That's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, don't even name him. Just him. That is fantastic. <laughs> Apparently, at this point, the, the crowd kind of lower their pitchforks and torches a little bit. And just pretending they weren't, they weren't lifting them in the no, first place. Just, one just starts, like, hoeing the ground slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Grass aflame. Fred, over here with the torch. It's, it's hard to yeah. do this in the dark. <laughs> oh, that's why I was here. Yeah. <laughs> So, the one cobwebbing. Oh, let's yeah. get rid of the cobwebs from the. <laughs> yeah, uh, the crowd disperse. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, there's party, yes. <laughs> Eustaphius was able to take Ibatsis, still alive, but with no eyes, uh, to, the, <laughs> to the emperor. And there you go, the last resistance of the Bulgars was put down. Now, we've sped through this, but just to make it clear, Basil was 28 when he first attacked the Bulgars and lost. Right. He's now 60. Wow. Yeah. 42 years. When I say slow and methodical, I mean slow <laughs> and methodical. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, was it worth it? Well, Bulgaria is now fully Roman. Was that worth it? We'll get into that when we're rating him. He spends a while sorting out his new land. Uh, Bulgaria is split into two new themes, which is nice. To keep the population happy, much of the aristocracy was kept in place and awarded Roman titles. Uh, it's said of Basil that he was a bit of a tyrant when he was leading the army, but when he was at peace, he was actually very fair-minded. He knew what to do in this situation. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah. But there's no rest for Basil, because word then came from the east once more. Remember that new land that I mentioned in Georgia? Uh, yeah. The new ruler over there was having second thoughts, so uh, Basil spent a few years in the East once more. Again, I'm going to gloss over this for time reasons, but just know that through a bit of force, but mainly diplomacy, Basil left the region with more land than he started with. Uh, in fact, if you add up all the land that Basil's gained since he became emperor, he has added eight themes to the empire, a, a significant portion of land. The empire is now a lot bigger. During this time, yeah, focus revolts again. The family, I imagine, <laughs> not the person. Yeah, this time it's nephew Focus's son. <laughs> Yet another focus. This one's called Nikephros again. Um, oh, yeah. Make it easier. Yeah, Nikephros <clears throat> Focus revolts uh, along with Xiphius. Remember the guy who skirted around the back of the mountain and was a hero during the war? Yeah. Yeah. Those two revolt because they are both members of powerful families and they're just not very happy with what's happening at this time. It's not hugely clear, but it would seem that Basil sent a letter to Xiphius saying something along the lines of, look, if you kill Focus, put down this revolt, I'll forgive you, you can keep your titles, and in fact I'll reward you for putting down the revolt. He also sent an identical letter to Focus. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Easy to try and wipe themselves out. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Focus went <clears throat> to Xiphius with the letter in hand, going, look what the Emperor's just sent to me. <laughs> he thinks he can divide us. <laughs> and at that point, there was apparently uh, just a pause. <laughs> <laughs> Xiphius got his sword out. <laughs> yeah, Xiphius apparently stated, well, I've not received one. Maybe I'll get one soon. <laughs> the fool Emperor. He'll never <laughs> divide us. Stab, 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 stab. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Focus was murdered shortly afterwards. Yeah. Shortly after that, Xiphius was arrested. The revolt died before it could begin. See, this is his learning from the first uh, the first Basil. Yeah. Um, then, just as Basil is thinking about going and getting Sicily back of all places, um, he, he dies. Yeah. Oh. So he's 67, so most likely natural causes, but we don't really get any details at all. There's certainly no mention of foul play, so you can probably rule that out. Oh. And there you go. He's... No, no stag, unfortunately. No oh. cross on an altar. He just dies, <clears throat> which okay. is a shame. But that's quite a story. It is quite a story. Yeah. I begrudgingly accept it's yeah. at least mildly impressive. Let's rate him then, shall we? Fightius Maximus. So this is another good one. We've had three in a row. 
Uh, just like the last two emperors, I have had to skip a lot of battles. <laughs> yeah. In fact, even campaigns, even potentially decades of campaigning, where we don't really know <clears throat> what was happening. Yeah. It's a bit hard to judge, but at the same time, we know it's good. Yeah. Uh, let's start in the east. It's going to be at least 19. Oh, he's high, definitely. Oh, yes. Um, in the east, the Fatimids attacked twice, uh, whilst Basil was fighting another war or trying to make sure there were no rebellions in the capital. Both times, he managed to get over with such speed that the Fatimids were taken unawares and were forced to give up. Yeah. The story with the donkeys, that's impressive. That's the kind of story you get about Julius Caesar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the resources you got available, being creative enough to... Yeah. Find a solution. Yeah, you're right. It is creative. It was it was good. He knew he had to get somewhere fast, and he knew he had to come up with a new solution to get there. I mean, so cheaters would have been faster. It would, uh, but I'd argue fewer men would have got there. So it's uh, <laughs> swings and roundabouts, really. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, <laughs> you just get three very hard-looking men there in two um, days. <laughs> full of adrenaline, though. <laughs> So anyway, that's good. Uh, he did some fighting up Armenia away with the whole George thing that we haven't really yep. covered. Uh, but just know it was successful and the area is fully Roman by the end of his rule. So he's done well there. Mm -hmm. If you remember that uh, Vladimir uh, took Cherson. Duh. Yeah. Uh, Basil got it back. Got it back in 1016. Duh. <laughs> yeah, Vladimir was very, very accepting of that. Yeah. Duh. Then we get to his nickname that I've not even mentioned yet. Uh, Basil's nickname? Yeah. Do you want to hazard a guess at his nickname? The Great? Nope. The Slaughterer. Very close. Ooh. The Bulgar Slayer. Oh. Yeah. That's a, I'm glad you didn't tell me that at the beginning. Yeah. That's not oh, was, It would have ruined it. Although, <laughs> yes. I should mention um, that uh, Nykephros had a nickname. His nickname was White Death of the Saracens. Who, who's Nykephros that? Nykephros too. Oh, yeah. White Death of the Saracens. Yeah. That is, I'd say, more impressive. Yeah, that's a pretty good nickname. <laughs> Which I, I don't know why I didn't mention it in the the episode, because I certainly knew about it. It's just one of those things that just got lost that during the notes. But, yeah, and it's only just occurred to me. By comparing it to Basil the Bulgar, so that's like a 90s <laughs> TV show, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that sort of theme music with a bit of guitar in, you know. Anyway, it's still a good nickname. It's not as good as Nykephros. And maybe Nykephros should have got a bit of credit for that brilliant nickname that he had. But yeah. uh, anyway, so he's got the great nickname. And he got the nickname because, wow, he, did he fight the Bulgars. He spent uh, literally half his life, maybe not quite literally, uh, but we're talking roughly half of his entire life of nearly 70 years fighting the Bulgars. Uh, and he won, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why this area was hard to take when Trajan was fighting here, like 900-odd years ago. 800-odd <laughs> years ago, it's about that. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, the area's hard to take. It's not like Syria with its wide-open spaces. It's craggy, it's mountainous, it's easy for the enemy to hide in. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's just very hard to root the enemy out of. You can't sweep him with a campaign and just take the area. I think a good analogy is if you... You know, we've got Placentino Play-Doh. And you're mm -hmm. playing on a carpet. Yeah. It gets stuck in the weave. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to, it's, it's crack, you can't do it. But if you play Play-Doh on a, on a smooth surface, it didn't stick. Exactly. There's my contribution That's to the That's pretty episode. good. I like it. That is exactly what it was like. Yeah, thank you. Basil got in there with like a toothbrush and some tweezers. Pen <laughs> yes. Spent decades just really getting all that plasticine up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, just, he just ground away at them. 
and just didn't give up. Um, so there you go. And then also, the civil wars, don't forget, he put down uh, four uprisings in his time, using sometimes the men who were most likely to rebel against him to do it. Mm. That's pretty impressive, although you could argue that some of this was actually the Lord Chamberlain. This was before battle really took command. Yeah. But still, pretty good. He led the army, which used to be rare, but it's, 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 it's becoming more common recently, but still yeah. it's impressive leading the army. But also, he wasn't a pride general to this. He took the initiative to learn how to yes, do it. Yes, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's good. Um, which I would argue is more impressive than the John previous John and Mike Efros. Yeah. yeah. He gets at least a nine off me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going nine, at but least. maybe a ten. I don't think I can go ten. Why not? Because it took him so long to do. But it worked. It worked. So why not, Rob? Why aren't you giving him a ten? Because only person we have given a ten to is Aurelian and Heraclius and... So the only people, I should say. That's off the top of my head, so that might not be quite true, but I think they're the only two who've ever got four marks in this round. And Aurelian literally got two-thirds of the Empire back. That's excessive. Yeah, but through his amazing fighting. He he was okay. he was fighting in France and in Syria, and he was all over. It was like this, but on a bigger scale. There were different odds, though. No, Aurelian's odds were insanely bad. Because he Basil's, Basil's odds Basil were wasn't better. trying to take over like all the West again. He wasn't going back for Italy and taking over the Holy Roman Empire. He was just dealing with the way he had to at the time. So one out of ten, Rob. Uh, because it's not as impressive as Aurelian, and Aurelian's got ten. Fair enough. And it's not as imp- impressive as Heraclius either. No, I'm going, I agree. I'm going for nine. I agree. I'm just very, challenging very good. you. I okay, agree. Good. I'm just challenging you. What are you Fine. going for? Nine. One out of ten. For the reasons you gave. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next round. Acrovium Crazium. He, he blinded literally thousands of men. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's, that's definitely some it's points It's just sending there. a message. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a good message to send because it killed him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if this was successes, you could argue that that was a very successful move. But, wow, it was ruthless. Yeah. It's, again, believe the sources, 15,000 men I mean, had you sharp just, objects jabbed into their eyes. If you're... Just put, put yourself in that position. You're just a soldier. I'm trying to feed my family. Yeah. Now you're blind. You're helpless. Your family may leave you because you can't, you can't provide for them anymore. You're a soldier trying to feed your family. You're given a chisel and uh, told, there's there's your 500. Go and take their eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nasty all round when you really stop and think about the actual detail. Wow, it's it's horrible. Um, it's not it's not him personally, unless he was there cackling as he went round. But there's no mention of that. He wouldn't cackle. No, no, he wouldn't. He'd be methodical. Anyway, that's certainly worth some points. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. He exiled his Lord Chamberlain um, and probably made up the reason to do it. That's but it. For, I think for good reasons. Yeah, I don't think it's worth crazy points. But I, I'm I, trying to find I stuff. think he wouldn't be around as long. If... He did then completely gut the church that the Lord Chamberlain had spent years creating just out of spite. He couldn't knock it down to the ground, which he wanted to do, because that just looked bad. But he just ripped the innards out of the church and sold it off to other churches. I mean, that, that's that's it. We just don't get many crazy stories. No. Um, 
Oh, he's going to lease at least a five or a six just for the 15,000 blinding. It's quite bad, that, isn't it? Oh, it's... I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to ramp up to a seven because that's... Oh, I'm, I'm not going that high because it was just <laughs> one event. If there were other things going one on... One big event. <laughs> it was one big event, yes. <laughs> and if there were other things going on, I, yeah, I would okay. have uh, said them. But it right. is just one thing, but it's a big thing. So I'm going for a five for that one big I'm thing. I'm going for a six then. Yeah. Okay, that is 11. Success ultimate. Okay, he's on more solid ground here. Uh, the empire is now expanded to its greatest extent since the rise of Islam, so since Heraclius's time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we now have an empire that goes from the Adriatic near Italy, like it's at South Italy, is still mm. theirs. Um, they've got Dalmatian coast area, yep. all into Bulgaria or Dalmatia yep. area. Um, you've got Greece now solidly yep. in there. Um, obviously, you've got Constantinople, all of modern-day Turkey, down into Syria where you've got Antioch, yep. and you've got like up in Armenia and going into Georgia way. This is now a good, solid empire. I mean, it's not the dizzying heights of old, no. but... It's an empire. Um, you can use the word empire with a capital E now. You can now look at a map of Europe and see the Roman Empire and go, oh, they're clearly the major player. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, recently they just haven't been. I mean, the Abbasid Empire just dwarfed yeah. the, uh, the Roman Empire. And then even the Holy Roman Empire has uh, been doing better sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, now, now it's doing all right. Good stuff. I'll put a couple of E on it. Uh, the capital was now a lot more secure. Yep. Um, because uh, the western frontier was much further away, so it's less likely to be raided. <laughs> yeah. uh, generally, Europe was yeah. now, or at least uh, the Europe of the Roman Empire, uh, is now just a safer place to be. It is now firmly under control. Groups of men who would raid down from the mountains no longer do that because the mountains have been completely taken. Then you got his laws against the powerful. Countless normal people were suddenly better off in the empire. I have money. And no longer going into debt. Yep. He rapidly rebuilt public buildings after the earthquake. Mm -hmm. uh, and something I've not mentioned, he amassed a fortune. A stupid amount of money. Unlike Nikephoros, who ended up spending all the money on his military obsession, yeah. uh, Basil's careful planning extended to his fiscal policies. For all those decades the he was out fighting, he was turning a profit. Ooh. Yeah. That, that, see, that's unusual with war. Yeah. Unless I mean, you're winning. <laughs> well, he was. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, if things were being drained, he'd be able to take another city or two that year, and well, there you go, that's a bit more money. The empire is richer than it has been for a very, very long time. I'll put a dollar sign. You'd expect there to be more, um, but it, there's surprisingly few details on Basil II. I thought Basil II would have a huge amount of details on him, and there's not actually. It's like there's whole decades of his rule that we've got no information on. But because he lasted so bloody long, uh, he makes an impression. So anyway, what, what do you think? I'm trying to find a reason to not give him ten. He achieved everything he wanted to do, apart from take Sicily, but he did die of old age, so... Kind of. You can get like that slide a bit. Um, I he lost Samuel at the start, but I mean he more than made up for that. Why not give him four marks? I, uh, yeah, I think he needs it. Yeah, no, I I think he was very successful. Everything got better under him. Life for the general citizen was better. The empire was richer. The empire was safer. It is undoubtedly a better empire when he died than when he started. Yeah. Significantly so. Massively so. Yeah. Ten. 
10. Image of I see him as being someone that's quite demure, but with an angry face. <laughs> Bentley was uh, not too tall, uh, but not, like, really short. He had a round face. Uh, he, he was not an imposing figure. Uh, and he just wore just, like, casual clothing for the time. <laughs> nice. Certainly not what the Emperor should be wearing. No. Uh, and it was only when he got on his horse did he suddenly look different. Because apparently the way he rode his horse and the way he could sit on his horse, he looked like the statues in the city had a way of posing on a horse that looked really impressive. <laughs> just, he knew how to pose. Yeah, uh, but when he was walking around, he'd just shuffle around. But as so he'd he always put your sword in the air like that. <laughs> Contemporary image. Of the time. This image was made of him whilst he was emperor. A photograph, wow! <laughs> Exclusive. It's not too far off a photograph. It's not a coin. It's not a mosaic. <gasps> it's a painting? Yeah. Wow! I mean, I'm guessing it's been retouched. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because Bloody there's no movie. way that would have survived. But uh, we get the general idea of what it would have looked like at the time. Wonky eyes. Um, <laughs> but getting away from that, wow, no, that's... That's amazing, actually. You see the round face. He's got a grey, neat beard. Yeah. Gold armour. I'm quite impressed with that. I like that. I like that. It's a striking image. I think historically that's more fascinating than a crappy coin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Far better. You know what I mean? I mean, this is up here there with uh, Justinian's mosaic, definitely, with just an interesting, good image to look at. Or some of the early busts, which were just... We were so spoiled in those early times. Oh, we were. I we didn't understand how spoiled we were. No, that's at least a nine from me. Just because I, I think historically that's yeah, yeah. No, fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm saying Sam. I'm not going for ten because he's not striking himself. Uh, but it's very interesting. So let's go for that. So that is what are you giving nine as well. You're giving a nine. So yeah, eighteen divided by four. That is a four point five for Imagofacious. Even. Without counting in his childhood, he well, still surpasses yeah, <laughs> 40. This, this is the debate we need to have, because we're so inconsistent with this. Um, do we go from the time where he was the sole ruler after John, or do we count the time where he was co-ruler with Nikephoros and then John? See, we are so inconsistent with I know, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm unsure. Um, but I would say... Nikephoros was emperor when he was emperor. John was emperor when he was emperor. Yeah. Uh, Basil wasn't emperor then. No. No. He really I'd say he was soul. emperor when he became emperor. Yeah. So that is 976. He dies in 1025. So that is 49 years. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That gives him a very respectable score. Of six point one three, in a round that's out of five. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. a top heavy fraction. That's impressive. That's that's really really quite impressive. Um, that is right, listeners. We've just had a debate off air for a good five minutes yeah. about. Adding things up. Yeah, because first we added up his score, then we double-checked we'd added it correctly. Then we debated, had we accurately scored yeah. him? Were we too generous Then we compared him to other people. We're standing by this. We are. I think the very most you could do is say we were slightly too generous um, in a couple of rounds, and you could arguably knock a couple of points off him. 
but still. But Basil too laughs in the face of having a couple of points knocked off him. Just to remind you, our season one winner was Aurelian on 52.13. Yeah. Then, to my utter shock and amazement, this season we actually got someone who beat him, Heraclius, on 53.88. Jamie, reveal Basil 2's score. Basil 2 got 59.63. I mean, that that's insane. And you know, the thing is, I was actually slightly disappointed in him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I, I, I wanted slightly more. I, I didn't... It was, ex- yeah. It was all really good, uh, but I wanted slightly more. But we've gone over the rounds off air, and it's like we agree with our judgments. It's We may have given him slightly too many points in Opprobium Crasium, I would argue. But I stand by that, because I, I, I wasn't trying to give him a high score. No. Just the 15,000 blinded people. But even if we knocked a couple of points off each, he would still be in the lead. Uh, Yeah. I don't think you can argue with his fightiest score or with his successor score. I think the very most you could do if you're being really harsh is take four points off him. Yeah. He'd still be in the lead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if we'd have put him as emperor from the age of two, he'd be in the 60s. That's a good point. (laughs) But, you see, that makes a huge difference. It does. That bonus 6.13 for his rule. Yeah, yeah. Take that off, and he's no longer the winner. No. Aurelian only ruled for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. So his length of rule has really given him that push because he was already really good and he just went on forever. He did. Yeah, yeah. He's done it. He's... Well done, Basil. I genuinely wasn't expecting that. No, I'm I'm surprised. We've done a couple where I've gone, I wonder if this person could get into the lead. So I've, Mm. like, prepared who has the highest scores. I didn't even bother to do it this time. There you go. You've done it. However, we do have a question to ask. (laughs) I think he should just camp out in this room, make himself comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and await the chariot race at the end. (laughs) Because uh, he's going to be one to beat. He is, yeah. I'd say this, though, he might have the highest score. I'm not convinced he's definitely going to win it, though. Aurelian had the highest score, and he won season one. I'm not Mm. convinced this is a definite win. I think there might be more Genesisari emperors who could actually beat Basil II, but he deserves his first place in the scores. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, well done, Basil II. Very impressive. Genesisari for you. Yeah. Well... There you go. Um, thank you for listening to this extra long episode. Thank you very much to Grim Reading, to Matt and Adam, for reading that lovely fairy tale uh, partway through our episode. If, for whatever reason, their recording doesn't work properly, uh, you'll just have me reading it uh, in a <laughs> I'm not planning for this to go in the episode way, but Jamie needs to hear it kind of way. So. And my sarcastic comments in the background. <laughs> what the hell is this, Rob? <laughs> you you sound like a... D- <laughs> Yeah, but I'm sure it won't be. I'm sure we will get to hear Grim Reading. Um, Also, thank you very much to listeners. We'll be brief because it's a long episode, but we have got to say thank you very much to the winners of the competition. Everyone's a winner. There is no first winner, second winner, third winner. Everyone's a winner if you do it. Romans and pets. So yeah, not only has Julia got a, uh, a Claudius with a Mr. Stabby, we also have listener Chris, who 
got a Rocky with a Claudius. Yay. He made the Rocky himself. Oh, he did. It's even got a string with a leash on it. And, I, and the Tipix face as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. very detailed. But also, Nicole also found a Rocky and a Claudius together. Oh. We are very impressed. We now have three photos. But obviously, the more the merrier. I want to make a calendar out of these. That's oh. what I want. I want at least 12. Yeah. And then we can have a, a calendar that we can put up in our room and just be happy about. Germanicus month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of them are Germanicus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you very much. And also, thank you very much to our Jeff Storians, Joe and Bailey. I'm judging by, like, Twitter names there and yeah. stuff. Um, they, they are doing some amazing work, uh, artwork and sorting out all the dates of all the Jeffs. And uh, they're well, doing a lot of research. Uh, exactly. In the they're Lost doing Scrolls. the research in the Lost Scrolls. Um, they're posting bits that they find uh, online yep. so we can get a teaser. Um, all I'm going to say is watch this space. Yeah. Something might be happening. Who knows? Who, um, knows? who knows? But thank you very much to you two. Uh, it's, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. It's brilliant. Yeah. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and yeah. Instagram if you really want to. Thank you very much for listening. Next episode, his brother. Remember his brother was co-ruler? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a short episode. Yeah. Until then. <laughs> Goodbye. Methodic. Welcome to the camp. Yes, we'll see. Oh, God. Would you care to go to your tent, sir? I'm here for the inspection. I will deliver the inspection. Are you sure you don't want to go to your tent first, sir? No, I think I will definitely start the inspection now. Oh, hang on one moment. I think I need a different colour pen. Green? No. Oh, God. Would you like to see the finances for the, the first quarter, sir? No. No? I want to see the first quarter of every man's sword. But sharpening day is tomorrow, sir. I'm not testing sharpness. Oh? I'm testing the conflictivity. Con <laughs> I'm assuming you got the last memo. Uh, of, co of course, sir. Uh, of course. It's all the swords are conflictive. Right, let's, let's, uh, let me introduce you to the first soldier. This is, uh... General Bruiser. Bruiser from the Bruzy Eye family. Indeed, sir. And I believe he is second latrine washer during the hours of five to seven, whereupon you take up your second duty core jet measurer. Which reminds me, I'm fairly sure I passed the mess hall earlier, and there are definitely some courgettes that should be being measured right now. Instead, you're stood here. Go, Bruiser! Go! 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 <coughs> Let me introduce you to an ex-soldier. Soldier Jeff. Not Jeff! Get rid of Jeff! I'm fairly certain that the only soldiers before me right now should be the soldiers that have been designated to be inspected. Yes, he is, um... Um, Soldier Brian. His name is not Brian, his name is Timothy. He has a wife who he misses dearly, four children. The youngest is suffering from the flu at the moment. He thinks perhaps this is caused due to the copious amounts of cats that his family owned, although deep down he knows that's ridiculous. One of the cats is now dead. He feels very guilty. Um, should we look at the, the swords, sir? I've already looked at the swords. But you've been with Hibby the entire time. I don't see... I was here for the inspection. Yes, I arrived this morning for the inspection. I've been here for a week. 
What do you mean you've been here a week? It so was all in the memo. Every inspection is preceded by a pre-inspection, which is in turn preceded by the pre-pre-inspection. I, of course, arrived two weeks in advance. One week, I spent the entire time with my eyes closed just to get a feel for the place. After a week, I opened my eyes and was disgusted. Did you see the sheep? All of them. It's been a very long war, sir. 